Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about, you guessed it, something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by postdoctoral fellow at Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, Dr. Brittany Jock, where we discuss her research on America's indigenous people through the lens of health and preventing obesity. Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. Thank and I'm you. So excited to welcome our guest this week, Dr. Brittany Jock. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. So I'm so excited to have you. And tell me, you are doctor, your doctorate is in public health and social behavioral interventions. Which is so interesting. And also I see that um we have a gorgeous middle name that I want to know more about. Yes. Um, so my Mohawk name is Wanizeliosta, and um, that means she makes the day beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful translation. Yeah. Thank you. They're so, often named around the events that happen on your your the day of your birth or things like that. So, yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I'm very lucky. So, you are a doctor of public health mm-hmm. and you are also part of the, I say, Mohawk yep. tribe. Yep, I'm from Aquisesne, which is a reservation in upstate New York. So shout out to Aquisesne. Which we love. Yep. And you have you have taken your cultural heritage and you're parlaying it into your life's work, which yes. is so cool. Yeah, thank you. And amazing. And I, I just want to say, uh, before we get too far into our interview, that I want to acknowledge that we're on the traditional territory of the Lenape people, and I want to acknowledge their ancestors and people, uh, the past, present, and future, and and acknowledge that we're on their land and, you know, benefiting and surviving on this land and from the waters in this area. So, Sending my thanks to them. Love yeah. that. Thank you. Yeah. So for you growing up, where did you grow up? So I grew up uh, in upstate New York. Yeah. Fierce. On the on the Aquisasna Reservation. So what was that like? Um, so for me, um, you know, why I got interested in uh, obesity and chronic disease prevention is um, there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of uh, obesity and chronic disease due to our history, right? So there's been a long history, um, you know, hundreds of years of food disruption and um, policies that have affected our access to healthy foods and our traditional food systems. Um, so I really got interested because, you know, I could see that, uh, you know, growing up that education wasn't all that is important for obesity. I think that is often what is emphasized, right? But um, also, we need to think about access to healthy foods. Like, are healthy foods affordable? Are they close by? Um, and that's that's definitely a struggle in a lot of rural communities across the U.S. It's especially true, I know, of, like, I learned, I interviewed in, uh, Cynthia Nixon when she was running for governor, and right. she was telling me about, like, Buffalo and Syracuse and just a lot of places in, like, rural upstate New York that have, like, really severe issues with poverty specifically, mm-hmm. which, like, you wouldn't think of considering that New York City has like so much wealth and there's so much like an abundance of wealth right. and you w- you just wouldn't think of there being like people having issues with getting access to food in right. this place. Right. Yeah. So but that I think that it's really beautiful that you coming from your culture took this interest and took this initiative in your life and your profession. I think it's yeah. so cool. Um thank you. But I also think you know it's like when you think about like the cultural like pain body and right, right. A, like 
oppression that yeah. indigenous people have. Well, how do I say that as a white person correctly? Like, just a person like, we, like, how do we say like, what is like the cult? Like, how, what's like the appropriate way to say indigenous people of like, of, yeah? How do we say? So that's a very good question. So uh, commonly, people ask, you know, what's the appropriate term? Is it Native American or American Indian? Indigenous people? Well, you know, it's very confusing, and um, to uh, overgeneralize, you know, American Indian is less and less the preferred term. Unfortunately, we still have to use it quite often because that's a census term. Mm. Um, so it's really institutionalized. But um, a lot of um, Native people find that to be kind of an offensive term. So more um, in general, I would say more people tend to prefer Native American or Indigenous people um, since, you know, that's the term American Indian, I'm sure you're aware, comes from, you know, Columbus was lost, basically, and he found himself here. And so he dubbed us, you know, American Indians. And that's where that comes from. So I don't it's think just I do really think a complete mis- misnomer, you know, so it's it's uh, just completely inaccurate. But I have to acknowledge that I think the best thing to do is to ask people, um, you know, what tribe they are and ask them, you know, what they would prefer to be called. And so I I would prefer Native American or Indigenous person um, rather than American Indian. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. But, I, you know, I understand it's also a complex topic and, you know, I think it's always better to ask. And I also think that just like a lot of people don't, literally don't know. Yeah. Like in my, in my hometown, like where I come from, like I don't, I wasn't. I didn't get the honor of, like, getting—I mean, it was just a very small amount right. of diversity in my hometown. Yeah. Like, so I think that there's a lot of just, like, unawareness, which is, you know, so much of the issue. Right. And, yeah. But when and, I think about, you know, what the what the cultural pain body is of Native Americans, it is really just intolerably— awful like what the what what people have been through when but when you think about like from a food disruption standpoint yeah. or a um like a- but there's so many things that lead into that food disruption so a lot of the work around traditional food systems is looking at well why do people move away from their traditional food systems and some of the reasons why are around environmental contamination um, reduced cultural transmission to youth and that is a huge factor a determinant of health for indigenous people is in the US and in Canada uh, residential and boarding schools were a big part of um, you know, taking away our culture and systematically. Um, so I'm not sure how much you're aware of that, but, you know, in terms of generally the boarding schools uh, essentially forced Indigenous people to, Indigenous children to go far, far away from from their lands um, to go to these schools where the, ascent, the explicit purpose was to kill the Indian and save the man. And so it was to completely rid people of the children of their culture. And not only that, they were undernourished. They were often abused. Um, and so it has had a profound impact. But I also want to reiterate that, you know, we're very strong people. And, you know, despite uh, these issues that we continue to thrive and still hang on to our culture, it's just amazing. So that's both, right? It's um, acknowledging that troubled history and, and especially for boarding schools because, you know, in other countries like um, Canada and Australia, um, they have the government has issued an official apology for that and their role in in the boarding school and residential schools, but that hasn't happened in the U.S. It, it was done informally uh, by the Obama administration in about 2008, and it was kind of like hidden away. So It's definitely um, something people don't talk about like yeah, super publicly. Right. 
And yeah. one thing— And I think it's important when, when people are looking at current contemporary Indigenous issues, whether they're health issues or not, that we need to put these uh, issues into context, right? So there's hundreds of years, and I think one of the most important things is that I think people need to really educate themselves. And unfortunately, people don't learn about this history in, um, in their education system, right? So it really means that people need to get curious about Indigenous history because that is really American history. And I, you know, one of the interesting things about my tribe is I think it's really surprising because um, I come from people that have had a profound impact on this country. And I think it's true for Indigenous people across the country. But um, I, I'm from uh, Mohawk Nation, right? Um, but we're part of a confederacy called the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, or also called the Iroquois Confederacy. And so we've had a big impact in terms of the U.S. Constitution on being the inspiration for that, the American Revolution, and even feminism, and lacrosse that came from our tribes. So it's really a profound impact, and I think there's so much, uh, you know, depth of uh, area for people to explore. So I wanted to ask, the the gorgeous tribe that we gave thanks to and acknowledged when we mm-hmm. first started because this is their native Lenape. land. Yes. Yeah. Are they like, are they in that same um, so we're different, distinct tribes. So actually, that's a really good question. And I think there's really a diverse number of tribes. Um, so just for example, um, so in the U.S., there are 573 federally recognized tribes in the U.S. And each of these tribes is a very distinct history, culture, language. Um, so yeah, we're, so, um, you know, the the Mohawk people and the Haudenosaunee Confederacy were throughout a lot of New York State, but the Lenape people were separate from us, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, different tribe, yeah. So 573 federally recognized tribes. So I don't know as much as I should. I want to know more because yeah. um, this is American. It. Yeah, and it and it is American history. Yeah. And um, I think that it is, I mean, it's literally genocide. Like, because one thing that I learned from our episode on getting curious about the Armenian genocide is that typically what governments do when they commit genocide is it's about forced assimilation. It's about removing culture. It's yeah. about removing history. It's about separating generations. It's yeah. about, and then once all that's done, then they deny that it ever happened. So I'm not surprised that I didn't learn right. about these schools. Yeah. I'm not surprised that as a child, I was learned that like the Indians and the right. pilgrims like all got along and made like a gorgeous dinner. And that was all there was to it. Right. And like everyone lived happily ever after. Right. Um. So, but I want to know, I mean, I didn't even know that yeah. these like schools existed. So please give us, give yeah. us. Give us no. a crash course on that, please. So um, in terms of the schools? Well, just in terms of, like, what, I mean, essentially happened. I mean, Native Americans were, like, literally here, like, cultivating the earth or cultivating, like, this earth, like, living their lives. Like, and then we came here and we literally, like, oppressed, removed people from their right. land, forced people into schools. Right. Like, forced assimilation right. upon people, like, all through the 1800s. Right. Yeah, and just to, you know, be super clear, because my training and expertise is in public health, you know, I'm not a history expert, but of course, course, because this is an important determinant of health, I can, of course, be able to give you some highlights. So in terms of the residential or boarding schools, um, Native American children were forced um, to attend these schools, sometimes hundreds of miles away. And um, they often experienced physical, sexual, emotional abuse um, and completely undernourished. There were several reports done in the 1920s and the 1960s that, um, you know, were saying how horrible the conditions were. They were basically, you know, 
doing labor. It wasn't even education. And the idea was, I mean, the um, purpose, they were saying it was education, but these reports were saying, you know, this has nothing to do with education. It was highly militarized um, in terms of, like, making students stand in line and um, be in very strict discipline. Um, so if children were speaking their language, they were often, um, you know, severely punished. Um, they And I think what's really important is that these these experiences have had broad impacts, right? So if you're if you have to go hundreds of miles away from your family, that means that there's so many impacts on that, right? But when it comes to even obesity or, or like food systems or being able to eat healthy, which our traditional food systems were very healthy, they were sustainable, they were local, of course. Um, so, but the way that our education systems worked was intergenerational, right? So learning and doing these activities with your family, with your community and tribe. So um, if they are going away, that means they can't, they can't learn, you know, how to participate in the food system, how to go fishing, how to hunt buffalo, how to grow the three sisters, corn, beans, and rice. Ah. Uh, sorry, uh, <laughs> corn, beans, and squash. Um, so, corn, you know, this has squash. corn, those beans, are those sisters. are the three sisters. So that's the staple foods um, from my tribe and a lot of tribes in this area. And they, they grow interdependently. Um, so they are grown together, right? So those are our, our staple foods. So um, this really has just profound impacts, and I think people don't understand, um, you know, this. these uh, boarding schools were um, operating between the 1870s till as late as the 1980s. So it's really not that long ago. What? The yeah. 1980s? Yeah. And so— um, But this is like this directly—actually, we have to take a really quick break. We'll be back with more Getting Curious and Dr. Brittany Jock right after the break. So these schools, these boarding schools, were run from the 18— 1870s to about the 1980s. Which is really, like, abhorrent, ghastly. I don't think that people think about—because, I mean, when you think about, like, family separation— Exactly, yeah. I think that is—one of the things that is really scary, I think, for a lot of Indigenous people, seeing this— ongoing family separation right now because, you know, our communities have seen the consequences of this and and it is really far-reaching, I think. And, you know, the science also backs that up, but you've had wonderful guests talk all about that as well. So what has your experience, I mean, because like, you know, Eckhart Tolle like talks about in like A New Earth and the Power of Now, it's like mm-hmm. cultural pain bodies. And like, have you ever read these, these books or heard of I'm a little familiar. He talks about like, you know, it's exact kind of what you're saying. It's like the effects of this of family separation, of the food disruption. Right. It lasts for generations. It mm-hmm. doesn't it, like the implications yeah. from it. Like it's not short term. I mean, right. and and it in what you study and is as far as the effects of obesity mm-hmm. and and what else and how it affects the Native American community. Right. Yep. And actually, you know, in terms of the public health literature, um, it's, we have a similar concept of historical trauma and historical trauma theory. So it's the idea, it's basically it was an extension of and studied originally amongst, um, you know, people who have gone through the Holocaust. Um, so it started with them, but it was this idea of going beyond, um, you know, PTSD and looking at collective trauma. So not just these individual traumas, 
traumas, but the effects of these mass collective traumas. And more of the research and the theory around it is that it has these long-term impacts. And so I think, you know, understanding um, historical trauma and the impacts of a lot of these um you know, these, uh, unf- I can't even say historical events because they're, they're so recent. But, and they're, yeah. Yeah, but um, seeing the impacts of that is really important to understand contemporary uh, Indigenous issues and Indigenous public health. And, you know, one of the things, a lot of times I think people point out disparities for Indigenous people that we have, high this, high that. Um, but, you know, I think it's not enough to just point out these disparities. We also need to think about why is this happening so that we can really find out, you know, and, and contextualize what is going on. Because otherwise, and especially when it comes to obesity, there's unfortunately in this country a lot of uh, misunderstanding about or really assigning blame to an individual like, oh, well, some people will say like, oh, you, you know, you're lazy. That's why you're this way. Or you just need to go to the gym. But it's not that, right? It's about access to food. It's about food environments and all of this historical trauma, right, that people have gone through. So I tend to think of it as this broader thing and not um, an individual person's fault, right? Well, because like if you're if your community has been collectively discriminated against, yeah. been made, it's been made harder for them to access literally food, Mm -hmm. history, connection. When you think about how easy it is for, like, a white person to, like, I mean, assuming that you're, like, I can connect with my grandparents. I know that the food that my grandma always made me, I know, like, that there are certain things taken for granted when you're in a majority that if you're, and when I really, when I think, it's because I was like, why don't I know more about the true history from an educational, like, you know, being Mm -hmm. educated in public schools about, like, the history of Native Americans? Right. And it's because no, well, I mean, this isn't, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons, but it's like no one really wants to sit and look at if they did something really, really messed up. Hmm. And like my dad, like when George H.W. died, my dad was like, or Hmm. yeah, George H.W. died. He was like, you know, he's like, my dad like lives for the pomp and circumstance of like a state funeral. And I was like, you know, this country was literally founded on genocide. Like it's actually patriotic to say, like to say these things because we need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And it's, and it's okay to talk about the shortcomings and the messed up things that have happened. But I think that it's difficult for people to look at themselves when they've engaged in something that's really, really devastating. And like, it's like hard to look at. Yeah. I think, you know, though, I, I think that, um, it's really important kind of going into more like how people can engage, right? Like I think it's really important that people can, you know, engage with their local history. So there's this great resource called native-land.ca. So it's this map where you can go into, it's an interactive map. You can type in locations and see, engage with this map in terms of seeing, you know, who were the traditional inhabitants, what are the treaties and languages spoken. So I encourage everyone to check that out. And Ooh, what's it called? It One more time. Native-land.ca. And so and you can incorporate an acknowledgement of Indigenous people and territory as part of – it's often done in special events. This is the standard in other countries like New Zealand, Canada, Australia, and I'm hoping it will take on uh, more here. So you could even do it as part of your podcast. Love. Yeah. We should do yeah. it on our – we'll do that for our content afterwards. Yeah, that would be great. So yeah. – Tell me about, like, well, well, actually, what's this OPREVENT study? Yeah, so uh, the OPREVENT study is a multi-level, multi-component obesity prevention program working in six Native American communities in the Midwest and Southwest. Um, so 
Um, it's multi-level, multi-component, meaning that we worked within uh, work sites, stores, schools, mass media, and we had a community engagement component. Yeah. So what is it? What did it study? So we're looking to um, shout out to the Oprevent 2 team uh, and uh, the PI, Dr. Joel Gittleson. Um, so uh, the team together is working to uh, reduce obesity, um, increase fruit and vegetable intake, and increase physical activity. So it's quite the ambitious study. And that's why the idea is that if we work in these different sites, because obesity is a very complex problem. Um, so it's not, um, you know, a simple exposure causes disease. It's these multiple exposures. Um, so when I say exposures, it's not just education. It's also access. It's also um, price of foods, it's um, exercise. So there's all these complex things going on. So the idea is if you work in these multiple sites within one community that we're more likely to make an impact and reinforce the messages from the, our different components. And then do you, do you work within the Oprevent study? Like that's like what you do. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. I did my disserta- dissertation research with the Oprevent 2 study. So and it would cool. not be possible without uh, the amazing team that was working on there because it's just a, a big project. So with how long has it been going on? So it's actually we did uh, Oprah Vent 1. This is again Dr. Joel Gittleson's uh, Oprah Vent 1 and Oprah Vent 2 studies. Oprah Vent 1 did uh, stores, schools, work sites, and mass media. And then uh, we added a community engagement piece uh, for the Oprah Vent 2 study. And so my dissertation research was more thinking like how do we go about working with uh, Native communities uh, to develop food and environmental changes, food and physical activity environments that help to promote wellness. So what have you, from that work, what does that like lead you to nowadays? So now I think um, a lot of uh, this work is in terms, I think some of the important findings are you know, how do we go about engaging uh, with tribal communities, right? And so tribal communities are very unique uh, because they're, we're not just a racial or ethnic minority group. We're also uh, sovereign nations. So um, sovereign nations, um, those are happening because uh, Native American nations signed treaties with the federal government. So that means, you know, it's kind of complicated, but it basically means like you only sign treaties with an external government that is at your level, right? So those treaties established a government-to-government relationship. So we as researchers, how we engage with um, these sovereign nations is very important. So we need to make sure we're engaging communities to talk about policy and environmental changes, which are more likely to make positive impacts. And, you know, from this work, we did... Uh, community engagement meetings with uh, the tribal communities that were participating. And we really saw that people were most interested in traditional food systems. And that's a real interest of mine as well. What we're able, you know, some of the research has is, is shown that uh, there's been a nutrition transition is what it's called. So a transition from our traditional food systems to what's called, quote unquote, Western um, food systems or Western foods, which are really these highly processed foods that are high in fat, salt, animal animal products, um, uh, and very low in fruit and vegetables. Right. Um, so um, understanding how we can go about promoting these healthy food environments, I think, is really important. It's also a real interest across Indian country right now. 
And do, how, do the traditional food systems between different tribes like differ greatly based oh. off of like where you're like which like Definitely. tribe you come from? Yeah. So uh, because the U.S. is so diverse, the traditional food systems are inherently local, right? So um, though tribes did you know move around depending on the food availability, so you know they would move around to follow um, herds of buffalo or deer. Oh, interesting. But also go towards like the berry patches in the summertime or. Um, gathering wild rice um, or, um, you know, in the springtime going to the maple tree, um, you know, to gather sap, you know. So it's it was the traditional food system involved a lot more movement. And so, um, you know, when Native American people were limited to reservations that had a profound impact on our ability to feed ourselves and feed ourselves with this really healthy food. Um, that And that food is medicine, right? That's how we look at it in our traditional way. Um, so that has had a, a big impact. And then at the same time, in recognition of, of some of the treaties, but also um, in recognition to the low, uh, the high amount of malnutrition because we're limited to reservations, um, the federal government started uh, providing food assistance and, and rations to Native communities. But again, that really introduced these highly processed foods to Native communities. So we started shifting away from, like, for example, my tribe, traditional cornbread to, you know, fry bread. Do you know what fry bread is? No. It's basically like a basic biscuit kind of dough that's fried. But th- the thing is... You know, it's it's delicious, but it's also not very good for you, right? But these are foods that we made to survive, you know? So it, it's really our, our people adapted to that. But I think what has happened to Native people in terms of, you know, this um, really uh, drastic shift to highly processed foods is um, really telling for the rest of the U.S. And, and health in general, right? So I think that it's something that can happen to other communities if they're, and this is what we're seeing now, right? More and more of a shift in our country towards these processed foods. And we see what's happening, right? We're getting high obesity and diabetes and related chronic disease. And that's something that I think everyone needs to be thinking about. How do we go about these having a sustainable food system again? So what other what other ramifications do Native Americans come up against? So it's... It's obesity, it's diabetes you mentioned. Right. Is it, So that's my area of expertise. Um, in terms of well, what other things are you thinking of? Well, I mean, one, well, one thing that I like thought of was just like that when we're talking about like sovereign nations, it's like when like the United States signed treaties with like certain tribes, it's like they were like those tribes were sovereign like within the borders of like the said reservation that like, like the, you're now right. assigned to. But like if you attain your food by mm-hmm. going to like if it's across the border or whatever and you can't mm-hmm. and you're not like sovereign there and right. you're not safe there or whatever right and now you're reliant on this government to give you food because like the buffalo yeah. or the whatever stuff that you got from over there you can no longer get safely right. that's kind of a way of like even though you're sovereign and you're like on equal playing field it's still a way for the united states government to like wield like some amount of like power or control because it's like it's limiting people that were always able to, like, go and get what they need well, to, like, not be able to do that. Well, I think it's important to acknowledge that, you know, sovereignty of tribal nations is not the problem. That rule of limiting Native people to, to reservations That's what is I'm saying. Problem. For sure. But, yeah. yeah. And, you know, just to put this into perspective, um, so up until 1924, um, 
which was the passing of the Indian Citizenship Act. Um, up until that point, um, and it's still like uh, up until 1962 was really when everyone, Native Americans, got the right to vote, which is pretty surprising. So Native um, Americans didn't have the right to vote? No, until- because they were, up until this point, they were considered wards of the state. And so part of that was also that they um, were denied other basic rights, like the ability to leave the reservation, even to leave to do fish or to hunt or to visit other tribes. Um, And oftentimes, you know, people would have relatives in other tribes or, you know, my tribe would visit other tribes in the Confederacy, other communities in the Confederacy, right? So that has a profound influence. And so back then... um, you basically needed a pa- it was a pass to leave the reservation and if uh you did not if you violated it or if too many people violated it oftentimes the military was called in or people were arrested or punished um so it was very severe um and i also want to recognize you know i think it's important because um I don't think many people realize, even though the First Amendment of uh, the U.S. Constitution is freedom of religion, that did not apply to Native Americans until 1978 when um, the American Indian Religious Freedom Act was passed. And until that point, um, it, we're, our rights to exercise our religion, our traditional religions, or um, access to sites, sacred um, sacred objects, those could not be those cannot be done. So it's really um, amazing when you think about it's it's you know it's sad and it's important to acknowledge, but at the same time, I think it's so amazing that it, we come from such strong people. Yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah. So was there like any particular reason why like some tribes participate? Like just like were some tribes like no, nah, I don't want, I don't, I don't, we don't do studies. Like, that's just, like, not for us. Like, like why some, like, people, like, was there just, like, Northwestern tribes didn't want to do it so much or, like, Southeastern tribes didn't want to do hmm. it so much? Like, in terms of Like, of participating, yeah. Um, so, really, um, that's a good question. Um, so, Oprevent, too, I think a lot of working with tribes is really developing relationships. Oh, gosh, I was supposed to take a break a long oh, time okay. ago, but I forgot you were so interesting. I forgot <laughs> to um, we're just gonna, I'm glad. Okay, we're going to take a really quick break. Uh, we'll be right back with more um, Dr. Brittany Jockrafters. Welcome back to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness with Dr. Brittany Jock. So in terms of, you know, who participated in the study, we did have some general eligibility criteria like communities, because we're working in food stores, schools, work sites, they needed to have those sites and they, um, in order to participate, in order to receive the programs that we um, were working on, right? So, but other than that, um, it was really um, about developing relationships with these communities because there is a distrust of, of research and and outsiders within Native communities. Um, and so all the credit goes to um, the Oprevent 2 team, especially uh, Marla Pardia and Jackie Swartz, who worked on uh, developing those relationships in a respectful way. And that's an important thing whenever you're engaging with research within Indigenous communities is you have to go about really like a kind of protocol about developing these relationships. I want to know about that, Um, interacting with respectfully of Native American Mm -hmm. communities. Um, But I also just want to say for like all of you, like white people, um, myself included, like when I think about like my grandma, right? Like when my grandma passed away, we found like, 
I found shoes full of like candy and like chocolates and stuff because she was a child of the depression. So she was always taught to like, like shove candies in your shoes because like you might not, there might be like a shortage on the shelf tomorrow, honey. So like, like literally I used to drive her around for like hours and like to do her hair and she would like tip me like 25 cents because she was like, I might not, like, like, which is like cute, but you know, like when you think about like, I learned so many things like from my grandparents, like little things that they like taught me or hand down down for me. And when you think about 1978, that's nine years older than I was, wait, I was born in 87. I can't do math. But that wasn't that Mm -hmm. much longer than before I was born. And when you think about like the the information and and life stories that have been handed down from our parents and like Mm -hmm. kind of what they, their experience was, Mm -hmm. you're like Native American like Graham and like this is why you have to be respectful and more understanding from right. a white perspective because yeah. like we like we're literally like not letting people learn their languages and like taking pe- like right. engaging in federal family separation and just yeah. doing a lot of things that were like cuz I just I can feel that there are certain like I can feel right. like people from like middle America that are like, or just like people that are like, yeah. you know, literally racist that just can't understand like why, like why should I have to slow down? Why? Well, because this is why, because yeah. like the what has what Native Americans have been through at the hands of the federal government in this country, and at largely because they're the people that we've elected for all of these years. Like there is a certain amount of responsibility to be taken for that, and yeah. And into and, and and I don't think that anyone is talking about it enough, really. Yeah, and I, you know, in terms of how to respectfully yes, engage. Yes, that was with, the second question. I just had to go off for a second. Oh no problem. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's about engaging with individuals and communities in a respectful way. So you know, um, you know, asking, like we said earlier, asking people how they want to be referred is important. And you know, sometimes, and you know, I totally understand that people don't get exposed to indigenous people that often, and. Sometimes I'm the only person, uh, you know, a person has engaged with. But, you know, try not to ask things like, how Native are you? Or do you do you speak your language? Or they're very uh, aggressive. I didn't ask that, questions. did I? No, 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 no. No, no. no, no. But oh. I think those are them. <laughs> no worries. Uh, oh but I just, you my know. My heart almost dropped through my butt, but yes, But, you of know, course. like, or, or um, like, what is your percentage? Um, those are really loaded questions. So it's like, you know, going up to a person and, you know, it's hard to make a comparison, but, you know. Um, it's just a really offensive question to ask right off the bat. And instead, you could say, oh, what tribe are you? Can you tell me a little bit about your tribe? And, an, you know, open-ended questions are always better. Um, and that's a, a positive way to to engage. Um, but, you know, I think— So a positive way, just for recapping even that— Even with indig- individuals, yeah. So, like, a positive—or so just recapping that, like, one is, like, a, a good way to interact with someone who— like that you are because like well someone is like oh yes like I'm like Native American you're like oh that's like that's amazing it's so interesting what tribe like what tribe is your family or like what What, tribe are you from from? what area are you from where did you love but like obviously I felt like the things that you said not to ask are pretty straightforward, but maybe if... It's very common, though, so I, I do understand. Um, I think it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction, and I don't think people mean offense by it. And, you know, that kind of goes to my another point that I have is, you know, if you make a mistake, it's okay. You know, and I think the biggest thing is... I think uh, Indigenous people are so warm. We're known for having a great sense of humor because we've been through so much, you know. Um, but I think... 
they're also really willing to to tell you about their history and to give you guidance. And it's just, you know, if you misstep, just say, I'm so sorry, what should I have done instead? And just move on. Because I know sometimes people get really upset when they when they make a misstep and, and hard on themselves, but really a better way to engage is just say, can you tell me a little bit more about, you know, better ways to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that's uh, – I think that's always a positive thing, you know, asking and, and just just move on from there. Do you know about, like w- – like, is there any parts of the country where there are, like – like, it, like are there – I'm, like, after we literally talked sure. about it, I'm, like, don't say something stupid. Oh, no, no, but no. I know, <laughs> no, but, like, are there any parts of the country where there's just, like, a more, like – thriving, more like just overt, like out in the open community of Native American well, and I think this also goes back to the history. So in the East Coast, because of the Indian Removal Act, a lot of tribes are no longer here, right? So sometimes they may be gone because they're no longer surviving. Um, they could um, also have been moved, right? So um, like for the Trail of Tears, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about. Um, so, um, you know, but in general, have- like the Southwest is kind of a thriving area. But also, like, I think a lot of people are surprised that I'm from New York State. And, you know, our tribe is is very, and, and there's several communities um, from the Haudenosaunee Confederacy in that area. That were like, that were like, are still thriving and were able yeah. to, that's a, yeah. amazing. But so the tr- is the Trail of Tears just like a horrific thing that the American government did that was like, like a big, like horrific Awful thing that's like yeah. a separate podcast, but like it's its own. Oh yeah, it's a it's a huge topic. Um, yeah. And did that like affect like like a bunch of different tribes from a bunch of different? Yeah. Um. So the the most prominent one that comes to mind is the the Cherokee, but um. Yeah, it's a. It was like an East Coast. Yeah. Basically, the whole East Coast was it was impacted. Yeah. Um. So when it comes, so. Now you study and you work with like how this whole history has in, how impacts present day like access to food and public health and like policy. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, like, you know, I think that we have seen that the Trump administration has been really I mean, I just was reading today like they're moving to cut like three million people off food stamps. I don't know anything about the demographics of where that money is going to. I definitely think that when it comes to like a government assistance perspective, he wants less for anyone, no matter what. Um, But I feel like I don't hear politicians talking very much about Native American policy or like issues. Right. Like, is there anyone that you're like obsessed with or like think is doing great or... I mean, having, uh, you know, uh, Congresswoman uh, Deb Holland and Sharice Davids. We love Sharice. I campaigned for her. Yeah. I did. I did. <laughs> we love Sharice. So, you know, that has been really exciting. And, you know, I think, you know, having um, someone who represents us um, to, to represent our issues has been a big deal. And it seems like they've especially made a lot of impact in terms of the issue with missing and murdered Indigenous women. So I think it's it's wonderful. And, you know, I'm, I'm it's it's also, you know, shocking that it's it's taken this long to have you know our first native congresswoman but i'm so glad that they're there and you know i think um i'm hoping that we will be hearing more about indigenous issues as they they continue their careers so what i mean outside of or i mean what, including like what you're like what you believe 
like, why don't we hear more about it? Like, what can we, what can people that are not indigenous or that are like, yeah. are not Native American, like, how can people get more involved that are like angry and like want to help? Well, not even that they're angry. They just like want to help indigenous or Native Americans yeah. have more access and a, a fair shot at equality. Right. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's it's a little bit, I think it kind of goes down to essentials of, um, you know, doing allied work, right? So how do you be a good ally? And a lot of that is listening first and educating yourself. And, you know, I think, unfortunately, we don't have enough uh, education about Indigenous history. Uh, in this U.S., and so that unfortunately means that there is more onus on people to learn more for themselves. Um, there's this great book that I love called The Inconvenient Indian by Thomas King, and it's very approachable, uses a lot of humor. I get, you know, I'm not getting any money by recommending this or anything. I just really appreciated his book, and it's available on audio formats as well. Um, and I think also, you know, going back to my culture, one of the values— um, is is to uh, listen twice as much as you speak. And I think that is also a very good tool um, when it comes to um, being an ally. So in terms of interacting or working with Indigenous communities, I think it's important to listen and elevate the voices of Indigenous people and leaders, right? Because we're sovereign nations, we have representatives from the, the different tribes, right? So um, I think it's really important to look to them and elevate Indigenous people's voices. And I think, unfortunately, sometimes, um, you know, people mean well, but I think um, sometimes, uh, you know, um, kind of cloud the the voices unintentionally uh, because a lot of people have Indigenous heritage, but um, they may not be from an Indigenous community. And, you know, sometimes if if a person points out a way of doing things or a way to— um, interact, then really listen to what they're saying. Um, and sometimes people will say like, oh, well, I, I know that because, you know, my grandmother was was this tribe. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not the same thing. And I think people often conflate heritage for being a member of the community of these sovereign nations, which is a different thing, right? So I think it's Allied work is always uh, it's always important to take a step back and think you know where where am I needed where can I be helping to elevate other people's voices because that's really what allied work is right elevating other people uh, backing them up and I also think you know when, when it comes to when you encounter racism or or racist acts um, you can you can speak up it can't just be us right because. Um, you know, we can't, there are a lot of us, but, you know, it, it does take allies to to work on things. So if you see a person wearing a Pocahontas costume or, you know, wearing the Washington football team, you know, it doesn't just because you are not an indigenous person doesn't mean that you can't step up and say something or educate yourself about it, even if you're not comfortable about learning about it before you talk to a person. And because I, I do that all the time, right? So... Uh, but we need other people to do that and you step up. You do what up. all the time? I'm so sorry. In terms of, you know, talking to people when I encounter, you know, a problematic expression, um, like a lot of people use the expression um, off the reservation. Um, you hear it every once in a while and you don't think it's, – it's very easy to not think about it. But that kind of harkens back to those times when we weren't allowed off the reservation, right? right? So it means like a person is going rogue. Uh, but that um, – it's it's uh it, it harkens back to a really making, painful time, right? Yeah. It's making light of something that was like just absolutely not light, right? Right. So um, I think um, you know, and and then I think another way that you can 
um, start to engage with Indigenous people in a respectful way. There's powwows across the country. Um, and you can go to powwows.com. They have a calendar. You can type in where you are and what dates. Um, and you can check out a powwow. And I encourage people to go buy goods from Indigenous people um, and um, also look up before you go a little bit about etiquette, about how to act in a respectful way at a powwow. Like a lot of times there's rules people don't understand. Like sometimes you're not allowed to take photos of certain parts because it's ceremony. And it's an open ceremony that people can come to. But, you know, there are religious aspects and sometimes photos aren't allowed. And I sometimes, you know, see people bending the rules and, you know, I'll go up and say, you know, you're you're not allowed to take photos, please, you know, refrain. Uh, but, you know, following those rules, just because you don't understand them, it's like being in someone else's house and like not taking your shoes off when that's the rule, right? Like, it's just a very rude thing to do. So just follow those etiquette rules. And you can also ask someone about why they are because there's a lot of history behind those rules and you can learn a little bit more about it. Is there any... um is there any groups that are doing really great advocacy work on behalf of Native Americans that you think is really great? Yeah. So um, the National Congress of American Indians advocates on behalf of all of the nations across the U.S. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, Native advocacy organizations like that. Yeah. So we like them. I wonder if they're like active on Twitter or Instagram or anything. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So that's a good one. Um, and then as someone who... You're a Native American woman. You are, you know, on the front lines of not only, like, living, like, you live in the United States, or, I mean, you, I was about to start cussing, but you literally live here, and you're from this community, so it's like, what do you want people to know? Like, what can, like, I hear, listen twice as much as we speak while I'm feeling convicted, because I talk a lot. No, it's okay. Um, no, but no, <laughs> but, like, what else can the rest of us know? I mean, like, Follow the 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 people that we just said about on Twitter. They're doing really good work. Yeah, I mean, I say lightly, but it's like uh, as far as like policy and mm -hmm. and really being aware of what it is to exist as a Native American in this world that we live in now in 2019. Like, what do you want people to know? Hmm. Um. So I guess it goes back to, you know, incorporate an, an acknowledgement of Indigenous people and territory, educate yourself, perhaps using this, you know, the book I suggested, um, you know, try to try to engage with individuals in a respectful way. What do you think Indigenous nations need to thrive yeah. in 2019? I think most important... Um, I think, you know, indigenous indigenous uh, tribes are already doing amazing work. Um, and I think uh, what is really needed is more resources, access to equitable health care. Um, I think those are very important to, uh, you know, the success of our nations because health is central to everything. If you don't have health, then you can't have successful tribes, economies, all of that surrounds, uh, surrounds that. And I think, you know, if we... Um, I think also if we are to think about um, relating to our environment in an indigenous way, you know, and not just thinking about, you know, how can I get my quick fix quickly, but thinking about, you know, my relation to Mother Earth, my relation to these waters, um, and, and um, respecting those relationships, I think that could go a long way in terms of promoting health throughout the country. 
Um, because it's not just, and we're not the only inhabitants here, right? It's also the animals and the birds and um, so much of our uh, wildlife that we're so lucky to have here and depend on, you know? So I think those are really important. And I think if we could relate, um, have better relations with our natural environment, then it would take us a long way, especially times like this where climate change and um you know, developing these sustainable food systems is going to be really important for us as a country and us as a world. I, I love the way it sounds. I want us to really be able to incorporate it more. Yeah. So that time has come for when you go to yoga and you're like, you know, ew, you did not teach pigeon and my hips are feeling tight and I'd really like to open up. Uh, what is your hip opener for today if, I, if we've missed anything? Yeah. And, you know, I just wanted to highlight a uh, uh, you know, quickly developing issue right now. Um, the Protect Mauna Kea is, is happening right now. And basically, you know, Native Hawaiians are, you know, rightly upset that there's going to be building another uh, large telescope on their sacred land. And so they're concerned that building another when there's already about a dozen on their sacred land is going to impede their ability to practice their religious rights. Um, and so I, I just want to do a shout out to that because it's an important issue that's been growing for some time, of course, but, you know, has really uh, been escalating late, lately. And I want to encourage people to check out that hashtag Protect Mauna Kea and um, to look to the leaders of that movement in terms of how to support them. Thank you so much. Dr. Brittany Jock, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. It was really great to be here. And, you know, I'm so lucky to come from a tribe of very strong women and from the oral history. And so I'm just um, very humbled to be here. Yeah. Thank you so much. I want to have you back. You're amazing. Thank oh, I'd you so love much. to be back. Thank you. Okay. What's that mean? Goodbye in Mohawk. Oh, my gosh. We got to say that. <laughs> say it again. Onagiwahe. Uh, Thank you, and also goodbye. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Benness. My guest this week was Dr. Brittany Jock. You'll find links to Brittany's work and socials in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our theme music is Creep by Quinn. Thank you so much for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and show them how to subscribe, honeys. Getting Curious is produced by Emily Bosick, Julie Carrillo, Ray Ellis, Harry Nelson, and Colin Anderson. 